even like when we've talked about scheduling this podcast, my natural impulse is to say, hey, you should probably just have a trans person talk about their experience. Um, yeah, and good point. And I think, obviously, um, they might not have done all the research that Preston has done, and so being trans doesn't necessarily make you more qualified. However, um, we're all three cisgender people who don't understand at all what it's like to experience That's gender dysphoria. Point. But um, I also agree with Preston to say, like, even though I probably I disagree with some of your conclusions, um, I see from my perspective as wanting the church to go more towards radical inclusion. Um, I see a role for you being able to speak to Christians and help them become more compassionate, more informed, um, even if I don't think you go far enough. And um, I, I do get heat for that kind of stuff all the time because there are people who would just say, like you said, sit down, shut up. You have no reason to be doing this. You don't. You wish I went all the way or whatever. But at the same time, there are literally millions of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, queer people being raised and nurtured in more conservative environments. They're not going to listen to Brandon Robertson. They're not going to invite Brandon Robertson in to talk. And I and here we might disagree. I don't know if we will actually. I mean, I I think there there can be a healthy, loving church environment that holds to a traditional sexual ethic where somebody could come out as gay as a teenager and people would come around them and hug and pray and be with them and and we're with you you know and, and if you decide that you don't agree with our sexual ethic then we value you if you need your rent paid we'll pay for it this might not be the church context where you can stay but we 100% love you and affirm your humanity and we're going to listen to you and we're going to walk with you we're going to be with you know that that's not a toxic environment I'm really glad you said what you said as far as having a transgender uh, person on I think that reflects a little bit of my immaturity it's just, it's like oh we'll just bring anyone from the LGBTQ community on here and and they'll they'll know all about this but I I will say a little bit on my defense and I know you weren't Anyway, a little bit in my defense, you're brought on here because of how loving and, and, and gracious that I've seen you and, and dialoguing with people. All right, guys. Hey, you are about to listen to the episode that you just read about, but I, I, I want to tell you just a, a little bit about what happened. So I was a I was going to put this episode out... And gosh, it was a Saturday and I was going to put this episode out on a Monday. And so both of these guys are, are friends of mine. I know Preston uh, a lot more, uh, a lot better than I do Brandon. But we even talked on this episode. We talked about how, like Brandon mentioned it. And he said, he basically said, you know, when you initially asked me to be on this podcast, he said, my, my, my reaction at first was basically to say, why don't you just find someone who is is a transgender person themselves? But um, and and you'll you'll hear this part. But I thought, golly, <laughs> and and the problem was I I did not know anyone. Like I I know uh, a lot of gay people. I do. I I just I don't have any friends uh, that would be a transgender. So I thought, hey, I'll still release this episode. No big deal. I you know we even acknowledged that, but. As release date started to get closer and closer, I just, I, 
there was just something that was troubling me. And my philosophy with with podcasting is that I, I really do believe if it's your podcast, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about and you don't necessarily have to be in that group. But I just started, I was just like, I don't know how helpful it is. Like, I, I don't know how complete it is. And I can also see how it could be off-putting to a transgender person to talk about people that are transgender. Like, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, Lisa, <laughs> as far as how to refer. So anyway, I did a little bit of research. And, and my aim here, Lisa and I, we, we have just talked for about an hour. I've heard a bunch of her story. I would actually like for, for you guys to eventually hear a lot of her background. But very, very dear person and just very last minute was willing to sit down with me and give me her, uh, some some sto- uh, some of her backstory. Listen to this long podcast that you're about to listen to uh, to give me a little bit of, of feedback. So Lisa, thank you so much uh, for being here with us. And I, I tracked you down because you, you got to talk to the infamous uh, Rachel Held Evans back in I guess 2012, if you guys were were friends, definitely. I know that's still fresh. Um, I was able to talk to her a couple of times on on Bad Christian Podcast, but never developed like a a relationship. So definitely, definitely sorry for your loss. Mm. But but, yeah, but thank you so much. So let, let me ask you that. If you were to run into this podcast episode and, and you see a title and it's basically, you're like, oh, transgender uh, okay, and you read about it, and then you you hear about the book that we're talking about, and and you you see someone that you know, you know Brandon Robertson, and you know he is in the LGBTQ community, but we don't have anyone that's a transgender person. Like, is that super off putting? Is it offensive? Is it a bad move? And you will have to wait on this one. It'll drop in two days. I talked to Lisa Salazar, a transgender person who also professes the Christian faith. She was so generous with her time to listen through this whole episode that you are about to hear. She gave us insight, feedback, pushback, as well as her thoughts on me having this conversation without a transgender person present. So that will come out in two days. For right now, it's Preston and Brandon. I do want to let you guys know that we are still sponsoring needs on DonorSeed. You can go to DonorSeed.com forward slash PWNA helps. All of this stuff is in the show notes, but I'd love for you just click on that link just to just to see what we're doing. There is an opportunity to give towards a need right now, and we're almost there. Take us over the edge, my friends. Let's get this one done. We also have a Facebook discussion page group that we enjoy discussing some of the topics addressed here on this episode as well as some other things. And last but not least, I saw a colleague of mine, a fellow podcaster, threw his daggum Venmo link on his description for tips. I'm like, hell yeah. If you want to listen to this episode and say, yeah, I think I'll tip Joey. I have Venmo. I can send him a tip. I'll take it. <laughs> so I've got my Venmo link up there too. Uh, anything that you give really does help me with this podcast, other things that I am doing that, that you'll hear more of in the future. But sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take your money. No problem at all. You guys enjoy the episode. 
too. Brandon, you okay. just told us that you, you had just moved to D.C. three weeks ago. Yeah, just about that. All right. So, yeah. So for our listeners, we're, we're podcasting on January the 7th. So obviously January the 6th is when the Capitol was, was stormed by a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> and you're 10 blocks away? Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, Two days ago, we started seeing folks kind of stream into the city and everything around here got shut down. Um, and then, yeah, yesterday I was out grabbing coffee and got the CNN notification that the Capitol went on lockdown. And uh, I, where I get coffee is on North Capitol Boulevard, so uh, you can see the dome. And yeah, it was just wild. We came, came home, we went on lockdown uh, at 6 p.m. and just sat here watching the craziness happening just down the street. Golly, that's nuts. What what are things like? So here we are at eleven thirty the next day. Are things totally chill? I, I just haven't tuned into the news. Like what's going on now? Yeah, I was out earlier today, and things are fine. It feels peaceful. Um, apparently, the president has said he's going to concede and uh, move forward. But I think there's a lot of tension still because all of the people that were um, mobbing on the Capitol yesterday are still in their hotels here in Washington, D.C. today. And, yeah. um, and we're just not sure what's going to happen. So. Yeah. Preston, people can't see you right now, but you've got a backpack on. It looks like the Capitol's behind you. You have a red hat on. <laughs> what, where are you? So speaking of red hat, um, no, I, no, I do not own a red hat of any sort, <laughs> but I do have a hat that I got from speaking at, Q, the Q conference. So wearing a hat with a big Q on it these days is not actually. I got. I, I keep getting comments. Comments. I hardly even knew what Q and on was. Not the, the research, but, no, I no longer hey, wear that hat. Yeah. So, so people that are are listening right now, they know what the, the conversation is is going to revolve around. But while I have y'all here, I, I really am curious. You are two guys that I I really do respect and I'll, I'll get to I, I actually want to talk about why here in a second but I just posted on Facebook I very rarely do so but here's here's what I posted on Facebook so so you know Martin Luther King he says love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend obviously what what does that mean what sort of love does that mean what does love look like what transforms is it uh, an abrasive stand up for what's right love or is it more of a uh, you know, surrender your life sort of love. But anyway, this is what I put on Facebook. If anyone disagrees with me and my stances during these crazy times, I won't delete you. Let's all try to esteem one another as fellow human beings and accept one another's flaws as our flaws are accepted. Mm-hmm. Let's learn from one another and try to understand why one thinks the way he or she does. Or we can just rally our own team and piss everyone else off. Let's be team humanity, differences and all. And let the hateful, polarizing folks have their own team while we try to love them as well. I'm not reading that because I think it's so awesome. I'm reading that because there were a couple people that I respect who immediately chimed in and said, basically, F that. There is an enemy. The enemy is hate. And that basically, that's too lovey and, and gushy. And they may be right. I just can't, I can't think of, I can't think or operate any other way. But how, how, when y'all heard that, did it resonate or was it like, whoa, that's a little too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, inactive, curious. Yeah, I, I liked it. 
Uh, honestly, I mean, I might add some footnotes and caveats, but I don't think it would right. go against the grain of what you're like. I, th- I think we can force forcefully. That's not even the wrong word. Like, like, um, well, yeah, just forcefully disagree with somebody's ideas um, and yet still humanize them in the process. Like, you can, you know, um, radically disagree with an idea, but the foundational idea that we have to all agree on is we're all created in God's image. We're valuable. We're beautiful in His eyes, and and everybody deserves dignity and respect. So, um, yeah, yeah. Brandon, I love you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wrote an op-ed this morning reflecting on my experience yesterday, and kind of at the end, I reflect the tension here. Right? I agree. I think one of the problems in America right now is that. Um, a lot of Congress people said it last night uh, that we've forgotten how to debate and we've forgotten how to have conversation across disagreement, which is how we've always maintained to move forward. And there's also the paradox of intolerance, right? You can't be tolerant of intolerance. And so when you have extremists on either side um, trying to promote their view, um, there's no, at that point, as Christians, yes, we can love them, whatever that means, but. There's no room for tolerating the kind of behavior, for instance, that we saw yesterday at the Capitol. No matter how angry you might be, um, we have to clearly condemn that and then also say, let's humanize one another. Let's disagree with civility and dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so it's almost like making sure, hey, while we label clearly what evil is and what right and wrong is, Let's make sure, and, and the three of us being being Christians, I, I would say it would fall into the territory of we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Like, let's make sure that people aren't the object of our hate. And I think, personally, unfortunately, that's something that we are losing. We're losing sight mm-hmm. of. I mean, I really feel like a lot of Christians, they 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 don't even toil with the whole love your enemies I mean, it's yeah. like that. I, they won't come out and say it, but it almost feels like, well, that's bullshit. Yeah, love our enemies, and right. and once we go there, it's like well, we lost everything that we we stand for. But anyway, all right. Yeah. So, you guys, two people that I believe have a uh, that that can have a very civil conversation about a very charged, uh, polarizing discussion that involves people. It's not not just a topic. Um, Preston, you have a whole book that's called People to be Loved, I think. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I'm excited about this. Preston, I consider you a a friend that I that I know and you prioritize love. Brandon, I don't know you as well, but the few times we've interacted uh, on Bad Christian at the BC conference and, and just on various interviews, I feel the same way about you. Um, so I want to go on the record with a, a thought revolving these sorts of conversations and and it kind of kind of fits in with what we were just talking about. I've talked to many folks who are affirming even in the LGBTQ community themselves who would agree with what I'm about to say and that is there are many people in the unaffirming camp who are not homophobic, hateful, bigots, abusive, bad people. They're, they're people that literally are saying, if I am affirming, then I am not falling in line with honoring God's plan that he has for humanity. And, and it is so, 
I know that there's a lot of, of, of people in the LGBTQ community who have been very much so scarred and abused by the church. I'm not asking them, hey, man, you just have to buck up and just have this perfect grace and everything. They're working through things that I can't even imagine. But I will say it is so refreshing, just so refreshing to hear um, Crystal Cheatham, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, a, a lesbian woman that that's, that that even said something along the lines of how how messed up it is that some gay people would get scorned by the gay community for attending an unaffirming church that they just love. And they, they understand why people believe uh, what they believe. But I just want to throw that out there. And, and uh, Brandon, am I correct? And, and, and I, I'm cur- anytime we have these sorts of conversations, I also want to learn like how to say certain things. Like, is it offensive for me to say, Hey, would you fall in the category of bisexual? It seems like last time we talked, you said you were bisexual. Is that off-putting? It seems like it would be off-putting to just put you in a category like that. Well, not when, not when we're having a conversation around that. <laughs> uh, that's, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've I've identified. Now I live a pretty gay life, okay. um, and so uh, qu- queer to gay is where I uh, fall, but. That's not to say uh, bisexuality is still not a part of me, but we sure. just, the Kinsey scale, right? There are yep. different measures of sexuality. So yep, yep, gotcha. So would you would you agree with what I just said, or does does any of that rub you the wrong way? Yeah, because I've think, never walked in your shoes. Yeah, I agree, and um, I, I I absolutely think I know um, so many Christians. I've sat in rooms with so many Christians that are. Uh, not homophobic, but deeply conflicted about how to live out their values while also loving other people. Um, And I think just in these conversations, especially if this was happening with more LGBT folks, for instance, um, I think it's interesting that we feel like we need to make that caveat up front and not a caveat um, right away about the tremendous uh, harm and what I think is just ridiculous that the church would ever say to anyone saying, I want to follow Jesus. No, you can't because of X, Y, Z. No, you can't be a part of this community X, Y, and Z. And so I just think those things have to always be brought up together. um, So as not to be favoring uh, one group of people's experience of being called homophobic over another group of people who are actually being pushed out of families and churches, et cetera. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, so for our listeners, here here's the deal. Preston and I, like I said, we stay in contact every every now and then. We'll text back and forth. And so, with his new book, Embodied, coming out, I was like, heck yeah, let's 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 do this. With with these sorts of dialogues, I just I'm kind of at a place where I, if possible, want to have a, a different point of view on here. And so, I reached out to Brandon. With that being said, Brandon, ooh, I think we just lost Preston. With with that being said, Brandon, I definitely want to. I I think you you had you recently wrote a book in the last year. Am I correct? Tell us a, a little bit about that. Yeah, I, uh, two books came out last year. Uh, Nomad, which was, it's a re-release of my first book, kind of saying my journey from conservative Christianity to progressive Christianity. Yeah, And then I actually had a devotional uh, that came out called Strength and Faith that was meant to kind of combat toxic masculinity that's in so many evangelical men's devotionals. So, yeah. 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 Awesome, awesome. Uh, so I'll, yeah. I'll have, what's, what's the best way for people to get that? 
forget to get access Brandon to Robertson. Just Amazon. Brandon, okay. Yeah, gotcha. I've got everything there. But yeah. okay. So we've already offended Preston? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's out. <laughs> he is out. No, he, he texted me, said he'll be back in a second. He must be having some disconnection problems. Cool, yeah, we'll have your website link on there. So we'll, we'll just continue with this and I'll, I'll catch Preston up. So I want to go ahead and read this for our folks. Uh, compassionate, biblical, and thought-provoking embodied is an accessible guide for Christians who want help navigating issues related to the transgender conversation. Preston Sprinkle draws on scripture as well as real life stories of individuals struggling with gender uh, dysphoria to help readers understand the complexities and emotions of this highly relevant topic with careful research and an engaging style. uh, I ask you Preston, why'd you write this book? So, sorry I cut out my internet. All good. We talked a lot. Of, you're going to have to listen to the episode to catch up on all the horrible things we just said about you. Uh, just, I texted you, bro. I, my internet's absolutely hideous. Anyway. And that's why we need a local recording. You still recording? I'm still recording, yeah. Good, good. Um, why, why did I write the book? I mean, um, gosh. Um... I mean, there's several reasons, really, in, in no particular order. Um, for one, I mean, I, I have several friends who either identify as trans or experience dysphoria on some level who have had pretty um, horrific experiences in the church, largely out of just ignorance and fear and more ignorance. And, um, and that, obviously, these are, you know, friends of mine, and it really hurts me to see that. Um, uh, there's also, I mean, I, in the work that I do around, you know, pastoral training in, in, in the area of sexuality and gender, I mean, obviously I get asked a ton of questions from Christian leaders, um, who are responsible for either creating a healthy environment or a toxic one, you know, um, for, I mean, sexual and gender minorities, but anybody who has a minority experience that, um, that, you know, can and have experienced harm by the church. So, sure. um, so helping to educate uh, pastors and leaders, and, and to do that, I need to educate myself. So that's I mean the the, it, the the book started as as it always does. Me taking my own journey through the people, the concepts, the stories, the the theology, the science, the philosophy, and everything, and get my arms around the topic, so that when people do ask me about something, I can give an informed um, response. So those would be the two big ones. Um, uh, and and there, I mean, whenever I write a book, I always, before I write a book, I always ask myself, um, three questions. Number one, has this book already been written? Yeah. Um, number two, am I qualified to write it? Number three, um, uh, am I passionate about it? And so this book did check off all of those. Um, now the second one, uh, some people might say, you're not qualified to write it. You're not trans. And, you know, um, and I, I've, there's, lo- there's lots of really helpful books written by trans people. And I, I, I'm not claiming to write a memoir. I'm not claiming to say, here's what it's like to be trans. But the trans conversation does involve lots of questions of anthropology, of philosophy, of theological anthropology, of Bible theology, psychology, and all these things that just because you I'm gonna say this in a way it doesn't, um, just because you're trans doesn't all automatically make you an expert in theological anthropology, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I don't, I don't claim to say, like, write a memoir on the trans experience. I do try to bridge the gap between, you know, having 
many trans friends who I've tried to walk in their shoes from a distance the best as I best I can and try to convey that to the many, 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 many non-trans Christian yep. leaders, you know. And sometimes they're going to be, unfortunately, sometimes more willing to listen to me than, you know, um, a trans person. And, and I wish that wasn't the case, but it is what it is. Anyway, that's yeah. a long answer to... Yeah, no, no, no totally, question, totally. Yeah. And and so... So I'm gonna I'm gonna go here and I and I and, and again this is this is this is really speaking or and thinking highly of of Reverend uh, Brandon over here in the progressive community, Preston. I I have I have heard firsthand that you are seen as uh, a, a dangerous person. Like I've actually had that word be used about you. And when I think of Preston Sprinkle, that's the last thing that I think of is dangerous. And yet I'm also a straight white male. Brandon, with the little bit or a lot that you are familiar with Preston's work uh, and, and being part of the LGBTQ community, like how, how do you feel about Preston's work? Uh, the little bit that he just said as to why he wrote what he wrote. Um, and yeah, keep it, keep it as honest as you can. Yeah. <laughs> can your internet cut off again real quick? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, um, no. it goes back to what we started the conversation with, right? Uh, of course, there goes my internet. Hold on. Sorry. Um, I got you. So uh, we began the conversation talking about the importance of speaking across divides and humanizing one another. And um, since uh, we've met a couple times, uh, I remember the first time I, th- I was in Atlanta, we, I was with a bunch of my friends at a, a bar, a lot of LGBT folks, and Preston, I forget why, why we were there, but we were messaging on Twitter and you came over and sat with us and uh, we chatted for a bit. And that kind of willingness to not demonize us, who uh, LGBT Christians, especially those of us who are vocal and writing and doing all this stuff, are seen often by conservative evangelicals as the enemy, the heretic, the whatever. Um, and Anybody who, I think that anybody from that side of things that's willing to come and sit with me is worthy of uh, respect and dialogue. And so um, I would say that at the very beginning. Now, I think the message, the things that Preston teaches and says, of course I disagree with. And of course, I think uh, non-affirming teaching has dangerous impacts on people Um, and there's no way to change either one of our perspectives without dialogue. And, um, and like you said, I always go back to Ephesians chapter six. I think it's a beautiful paradigm. I don't think Preston is uh, a dangerous person. I think some of what Preston you might say is dangerous. Um, and I think similarly, if you're a, uh, a non-affirming Orthodox conservative Christian, you probably think that I say some pretty dangerous things to people. Um, and so I just think we need to have that kind of openness when we engage in these conversations. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's why I love y'all both so much. Goodness gracious, I love this. So, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be forthright with both of you that I, I, I'm very uneducated on this. Preston, you wrote a whole book on it. Brandon, you've got a lot of knowledge of, about all of this, and so I'll, I'll start by asking you, Brandon: Is it as simple as I am whatever gender I feel like I am? Uh. No, not exactly. A couple words off there. If you changed a few words, I think I think this could be a very simple conversation, not to oversimplify it. But um, I think we know that there are people that are born with a biological sex and a 
inner sense of gender identity that, that doesn't align with that biological sex. And this isn't a new thing. This has been happening throughout history. It may have been articulated in different ways by different people at different times, but it's always been here. Yeah. And so um, a trans person is generally somebody, like I just said, who's born in a body that doesn't align with what they experience themselves to be. And oftentimes that leads them on a difficult but oftentimes rewarding journey for them to find alignment um, bodily with their inner sense of gender. Um, and so that's how I would explain the very basic question of what a trans person is. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And and, and obviously we're, we're going to probably, at least in y'all's mind, bar- barely scratch the surface. And so at, at the end, Preston, if you really want to say, okay, here... Here's exactly what you're going to get out of my book if, if we don't get there too often. But, but Preston, yeah, do you what what so when someone such as some of the friends that you reference at the beginning of this conversation, when someone feels that way, what are they supposed to do? If Joey Svensson feels like a woman, what yeah. what am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to say, well, that's not right. I need to suppress that. Or does Joey Svensson yeah. need to open the door to sex change or dressing differently? I mean, well, what's a right. person to do? Yeah, um, I mean, every, every every person, every situation is different. Even within trans experiences, there's there's so many different kinds of experiences. Isn't that that I, that's an obvious point, but I think it's sometimes lost. You know, like we just we can't talk about like trans people as if gender dysphoria is all the same or trans identity is all the same. Like there's so much diversity uh, within that. I mean, there's, you know, for instance, there's like, lots of research done on for some trans people, they have a uh, repressed misogyny. You know, there's biological females who have been through traumatic experiences where they saw with one story, actually um, one three-year-old girl, she was about three, you know, woke up and saw her mom dead, beaten to death by her her boyfriend at that time at the bottom of the stairs. And um, and then later on, it kind of comes out like she identified as, as a boy because then I could have saved my mom, you know. Um, well, that I think there's some trauma, some some serious things that need to be worked. Like I wouldn't say that person like, oh, if they say they're a boy, they identify as a boy, therefore they're a boy. There might be some views of femaleness that are unhelpful and, and to take medical steps to um, move into their identity that might not be the most healthy thing. And I, I, if I was an atheist, I would, I would say the same thing. I would just say like, you know, let, let's, let's, let's explore this particular trans experience. As you know, Mark Yarhouse, who Brandon knows, you know, if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. Um, so that it's just you know what the, should that person do? Well, the first thing I before I, I can't answer that until I get to know the person and right. spend a lot of time with them. You know, right. um, there's a subtype of dysphoria that's related to what some psychologists call autogenophilia, and super debated and everything. But there's I, mean, I have friends that experience this, so it's, it's, it does exist. You know how high of a percentage among trans-identified people is, is debated. So autogenophilia is you know a, a biological male would identify as female out of an erotic desire to view themselves as, as female. Um, and there's, it's been well-documented, even though some people want to say it doesn't exist. Obviously, obviously, not every trans person experiences this, not every biological male who identifies as trans experiences, but it's been well-documented. So in that case, like if somebody, if a, 
if a male, out of an erotic desire to view themselves as female, wants to transition. Again, if I don't need to be a Christian to say, I, I'm not 100% sure that that's maybe the, the healthiest route to go. Maybe let's explore um, some, some things here. So, yeah. Let, let, me um, ask you th- let me ask you this, Preston, because this is, uh, uh, and, and again, I, I don't care who the person is when, <laughs> just so you know, I'll say this on, on air, if in if I ever hear someone talk about you as a hateful person, I'm I'm always at your defense. I'm like, well, you know, maybe there's some things that he said that you took the wrong way, but I don't feel that way about Preston at all. So with that with that being said, one thing that I have have heard about you is that you you tend to say a person is this way because of something really bad happened to to them. Like, is there anyone that ends up trans? And they had a, a a beautiful birth, upbringing, great childhood, great parents, and and they still end, end up trans. Absolutely, and, I, and I've never said otherwise. So that right, right. that that statement doesn't come from reading or listening to something I've said. I've never. I, I affirmed the what almost every psychologist would say is that um, gender dis. Let's. Just, I mean, trans and gender dysphoria somewhat different yet overlapping. Let's just stick with gender dysphoria, um, there's multiple reasons why somebody might experience gender dysphoria, especially when it comes to early onset gender dysphoria, sometimes as young as two or three years old, somebody might experience profound discomfort with their biological sex, probably mostly biology, if not totally biology there. Um, again, going back to my story of somebody who had that experience with their mom, there might be more, um, um, environmental reasons that maybe not solely cause, but contribute maybe to dysphoria. Um, and there's all across the spectrum. So it's, yeah. it's very complex. We can't yep. simplify causation. Yep. So, so really hitting some, some basics here. Brandon, do you believe that there is a, 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 a difference between genders? And, and how, how I will say that, and, and on, quite frankly, where I'm still at is I obviously see very masculine women and I see very feminine uh, men. But it seems like as and, and I don't I don't know how useful this is. I'm not saying it's super useful. It seems like as a whole, there are certain things that are similar about men, maybe certain ways that their mind operates, and then there's certain things that as a whole seem to be a little more stereotypical of women. And I would just uh, I'd put it this way. I, I would guess that at least fifty one percent of women would fall into some of those things that we think about women and at least 51% of men. And, and I'm, I, I'm saying science and I'm saying maybe even some, some ways in which we've been cultured, but that right there, I think what I just said is, is very offensive to people it is, is how, how would you respond to that Brandon, as far as there being a difference in genders? Yeah, I think uh, we just, have to be open to the fact that we've, as a culture and as Christians, oversimplified a lot of things, a lot of these very complex things. Um, I would say sexuality and gender are probably the most complex aspects of our identities as people. And um, I think it's clear just uh, from an anthropology standpoint, looking around the world throughout time, there have been different gender expressions that would not align with our understanding of what is masculine and what is feminine. Um, And so when I think about gender, gender is on a spectrum. 
It's not completely culturally defined. I don't think I can go that far, but I think there's a large portion of gender identity that is culturally defined and it's different from sex. And so I would say just knowing trans folks um, and having really close friends share this experience, my understanding from the people I know is that most of them from a very early age came into the world experiencing their sex as one way and being told that because you have a penis or a vagina, you need to express yourself in this way. Um, And they don't, that didn't align with their inner sense of reality or self-expression. And so I just think it's important as we think about gender and gender identity, if it's on a spectrum, if males at one end and females at the other end, of course, there's going to be a whole array of different ways of expression, even as you were just uh, speaking about more masculine-seeming women, but also people who are um, non-binary. Like There would have to be a middle of that uh, spectrum where there might be somebody who's really androgynous. And that is something that's been very clear across cultures. Even in the Hebrew um, Bible, there are references to people who would have been androgynous, uh, people that don't express either the masculinity of their culture or the femininity, but have some mix of both. So gender identity, um, I think in general from a, a 50,000 foot level, that's how I would understand it. Does that spark it. anything, Preston? Yeah, well, um, yeah, lots of things. Um, and probably a lot of, I, I find very little I, I would disagree with. Uh, I'm not sure if we're asking all the most fundamental questions, but um, yeah, I think it's uh, terminologies, as y'all know, is so important here. And Brandon referenced in passing, you know, there's a difference between sex and gender. Joey, when you asked the question about gender, I think it sounded like you were using gender as a synonym for sex, I think. Yeah, yeah you're right. And need... that, again, that, that, that boils down to me not being super educated. And, and no, 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 and, and, no, not at all. But I mean, I mean, people with PhDs can blend the, they'll, they'll define gender and sex differently on one page and then five pages later in a book collapse the two. All so the sex is strictly to... anatomy? Sex is strictly okay, anatomy? So, so sex, I mean, sex, biological sex is the most basic structure of human, of humanity. There's male and female. It's based on the different systems of reproduction. Like, and this is, you know, the earth is round and not flat. <laughs> kind of truth. You know, humans are sexually dimorphic. We can get into intersex. Um, I don't, Let's just leave aside the intersection yeah, for a second. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, know there's yeah, exceptions. Ma- yeah, humans are born male or female. A small percentage are both male and female on a biological level. I have a friend that's literally both. There's no, um, not one side or the other. Um, so, so gender can be broken down into three things. And I, I, this is not controversial. I'm using just basic definitions that everybody would agree upon. Most everybody would agree upon. So you have gender identity, gender expression, gender role. Gender identity is one's internal sense of self as male, female, both, or neither. Gender expression is how we um, express ourselves through mannerisms, clothing, interests, likes, dislikes. And then gender role is kind of the societal expectation for how males and females uh, should act. So, um, yeah, the the biggest, here's the, for me, the fundamental question from which everything else flows from is, um, if a male or female experiences some kind of incongruence between their biological sex and their gender identity, their internal sense of self, then which one are they on an on anthropological level? If a male, for instance, 
um, if a male's internal sense of self is female, non-binary, or other than male, then does that mean that that internal sense of self is who they are on, a, on an ontological level, a nature of being? When God looks down and sees this person, what does he see? Does he see them according to their biological sex? Or is their biological sex a wrong representation of personhood? I, I, I don't want to get too, like, no, but what say, what say you but, but, about that? What would you say? <laughs> well, let me just add this, because there's a lot of the secondary, a lot of the questions that you kind of jumped into at the beginning are kind of like, from a Christian standpoint, well, not even a Christian, but just from a, let's just say, from a Christian standpoint, our goal is to live according to how God has designed us. So is our internal sense of self right, or is our biological sex more definitive of personhood because we want to move into and live according to how God sees us, not, yeah, I'll live at that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Brandon? <laughs> yeah, these are big, complex questions, but I think on this, I mean, and I think this is where the conversation goes, I would kind of become more dualistic in my thinking and I would, uh, I would say that our inner sense of reality and experience is probably uh, our truest self. Um, I, I leave the uh, my ability to change my mind on that. I might think a different thing next week. But my understanding now is that our inner sense of self is the eternal part of us. Um, I know Christian theology, we have a lot of incarnation uh, stuff to talk about and wrestle with there. But... Um, I think just even on the experience of the trans folks that I know, um, it just seems clear to me that their inner person is the one experiencing this distress because it's not aligned with the outer. And there are ways uh, that they can find alignment. And oftentimes that happens through either changing the expression of their bodies or actually changing their bodies. And for many of them, that is a way to cure dysphoria. Um, and so it would seem just on the experiential level and also on the philosophical level that it's the inner self that should define uh, what one's fundamental identity is. And Preston, does that jive with you or you, uh, do, do you do you think one way or another? Or are you on the other side of the fence with this? Yeah, I, yeah that's where probably we're, we're going to disagree pretty significantly, um, especially when we're dealing with, well, there's several things there. I don't, um, I think from a Christian theological standpoint, I would see the Bible and Christian tradition for the most part, um, that has a different view of human nature as more unified, not completely, you know, Brandon used the phrase dualistic. Um, there's a whole spectrum of like monism where it's like the body and the immaterial material are inseparable and strong dualism, you know, it's like there's two completely kind of separable entities, the immaterial and material. Sometimes we refer to the immaterial as the soul. The Bible doesn't use the term soul that way. It often uses the term soul to refer to the whole person. Um, even animals are called souls in, in Genesis. Um, so I would take, I'm probably right in the middle of that. I, I don't, obviously there is an immaterial aspect of humanity. Obviously that's really important. Um, but I, I don't think, biblically the view of human nature would separate the body from personhood as as that seems that brendan brendan would do now again there's disagreement on that even within christian uh circles but i would say if a i mean again we're dealing with the biological sex is the one i mean that's basic structure of humanity so if a male who's clearly male 
has an internal sense of self that Wait, they stop, are not. Stop right there. Just for clarification, you said clearly male, and I'm not trying to be crass because no. of a penis. It's no. I'm, I mean, it's, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, it, it, biological sex is can't be reduced to one aspect of anatomical. Um, the anatomical nature of sex. I mean, it goes all the way down to the very genetics to at the cellular level, you know, yeah, the presence yeah. of a Y chromosome, unless somebody has yeah. androgen sensitivity syndrome or something, will we'll, we'll click on the hormones and trigger the development of a male away from a, a female. Um, so uh, genetics, systems of reproduction, which is related to gametes and the production of different levels of hormones in males and females. So it's, it's all, it's, um, yeah, not just, this person has a penis, therefore, like it's it's more beautifully complex than that. But um, yeah, so I would say if somebody is biologically male and their inner sense of self is not that, then I would say, barring more evidence, <laughs> then their inner sense of self is wrong. Like they're factually male. Um, and I would say inner senses of self. I mean, and, and when we talk about inner sense of self, I mean trans. Gender dysphoria, the trans conversation is one of many, many, many senses of self. You know, you have people who are transable, whose inner sense of sense of self is called body integrity identity disorder, where they truly believe deep down that they are handicapped. Like they say, I know I have two arms, but I identify as a one-armed person. So they go and get the one arm removed. Um, and I look, analogies are always imperfect, but several trans researchers have explored that experience and said there's a lot of similarities here. But like, so I would say there, if somebody is, has a perfectly healthy body um, and they say, no, I identify as a person who is blind or deaf or has one arm, I'd say, well, that, that is factually not who you are. Now, having said that, I, I have to jump in and say, I, I in no way want to minimize the experience the lived experience of this person and minimize. Like, I don't even like the phrase to say it's not real. What does that mean? It's not real. Their experience is profoundly real. Um, but that doesn't mean that factually somebody who has this experience in the face of clear evidence to the contrary, given the biological sex, is who they, who they say they are. Um, and, that, and that would be the fundamental difference of, of how you guys see this, I would assume. And, and Preston, let me ask you this. Is there ever a time in which someone should explore a, a, a different gender? Like, is, is there ever a time? So obviously we have, is it, is it intersex people with both sex? Is that, is that? A I small remember percentage one, I, of yeah, intersex I, I, people. I remember one time I, uh, Brandon, it may have been you that corrected me. Someone, I, I said a hermaphrodite, and somebody was like, <laughs> you know, you really don't say that anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. goodness. Oh, gracious. But so, Preston, would there be – so so for someone who's yeah. intersex, like it seems like I, I've heard that some of them just say, you know what, I'm going to be a, a woman and, and do some sort of surgery and everything. And I know that's the, the, such a small percentage, but are there any instances where someone – needs to explore a different gender or you would say no well again the term gender i'm going to push you on, Shoot, on defining the exact, no no it's fine it's fine it's it's uh again really really smart educated people with tons of knowledge of this topic use the term gender in ways that are completely inconsistent um so we, we, yeah we intersex i mean 
I would ask the question, which intersex condition are we talking about? There's anywhere from 16 to 20 different intersex. I mean, the medical term is uh, difference of sex development or disorder of sex development. Sometimes a disorder can sound offensive. So well, either I, way, I probably shouldn't have even brought that up. Yeah. Like, uh, so, so basically, yeah. are, are, is there a time when someone should explore another gender or, or, yeah. would, or where you're at right now, you would say that's, that's <laughs> never the best route to take? Well, so again, let, let's stay with the word gender. Should they explore a different internal sense of self? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be okay with exploring a different internal sense of self. Should they explore a different manifestation, like wear different kinds of clothes? I think the Bible is incredibly flexible on um, gender expression and even gender role uh, of the three categories of uh, within gender. So I think the Bible, I think most of our cultural stereotypes come from culture, not the Bible. So I, I yeah, I'm all full. And I think Dran and I probably are, are going to be on similar pages there. Um, I think a female can wear short hair, play sports, not cry during a movie. And I think a, a, a man can write poetry, play a harp, and weep all over the place like King David, you know, and say, my love for you, Jonathan, is better than the love of women. You know, you say that today and you're going to violate cultural expectations of gender expression or gender role. And I'm like, the Bible gives us freedom in that. I think the Bible does say there are males and females, and it acknowledges people like the eunuch um, who might be similar to like an intersex person. Um, but it, it gives us a wide range of how we can express what that maleness or femaleness looks like. The Bible does not. It liberates us from these oppressive cultural stereotypes. And in, in, in an odd way, I do feel like some strands of a, for lack of better terms, a gender-affirming viewpoint actually resurrects these old stereotypes. So if you ask a person who's male... Who identifies or intersense itself as female, I would say, well, what talk to me about what that looks like. Oftentimes they're gonna start describing stereotypes. Well, I, you know, I grew up, you know, I I've, though I was female, I I I you know love to play sports, I played the trucks, I love to hang out with the guys and all these things. I'm like, what that females can't play with trucks and ride skateboards and you know, do they have to be stuffed in pink dresses and stuff? So I don't want to simplify it down to the stereotypes, but it's, it's really hard. I think it's, it's, I think it's, this is why there's so many uh, gender uh, feminists who oddly enough, you know, I, who uh, radical feminists or gender critical feminists who we would agree on nothing except for the, I would say this, this idea that um, some versions of a uh, gender affirming uh, ideology are resurrecting old stereotypes without kind of explicitly realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've got some specific questions, but before before that, because uh, I want to do this one more time, because it'll probably be like beating a dead horse as far as <laughs> where both of you where both of you guys are at. But Brandon, where's Preston going wrong in your mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think um, just the understanding of gender and sexuality uh, internally, I think is I don't think it's congruent to compare it to some of these other disorders or other. Uh, understandings that people might have of their inner self. Um, For heterosexual cisgender people, uh, your inner sense of maleness or femaleness, your inner sense of being attracted to the opposite sex, most people would say it's pretty fundamental. It's pretty hardwired into you. It's not uh, something that just arises on a whim and can float away on a whim. So I would say 
just experientially, sexuality and gender identity seem internally to be more fundamental than just kind of um, reducing it to a feeling that someone might have. So I would just probably talk about that a little bit differently, even though I suspect you probably uh, agree with that. And um, I think, yeah, that basically everything, I mean, everything else flows from a fundamental understanding of um, whether gender identity is something that the internal sense of gender identity is something given by God and unchangeable, or if it's something that is flexible. And I would just argue that, um, again, very basically, God created two sexes um, and sometimes um, intersex. There are debates around whether that's a result of the fall or if that's part of God's created intention, either way, um, doesn't seem very important to me. I think um, gender identity, as you stated, its expression, the roles, and even the internal experience has been fluid, has always been fluid. Um, I think eunuchs uh, are open up a big conversation biblically about um, the trajectory of God's inclusion towards sexual and gender minorities. People debate about whether uh, eunuchs are intersex people, trans people, gay people. I think they kind of just stand for us as an icon of somewhere in between all of that. And um, what we see is in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, this consistent movement to say, these people, just as they are with their differences in gender and sexuality, are welcome, included, and affirmed, uh, whether that's in the life of the Jewish people or in the life of Christianity. Um, and so for me, that's kind of where the discussion ends because it gets this gets so complex. You're right. Um, you meet one transgender person, you've met one trans person. Their experience is so different. Um, so I, I don't spend a lot of time um, theologically trying to parse out each of these um, questions very deeply because I think the overarching theme um, of scripture is God is a diverse creator. Uh, People are going to reflect God's diversity differently. um, And much of what we believe and have inherited and called Christianity is just cultural constructs. Um, And Preston, I I really agree with you. Like uh, we need to push so hard against the kind of evangelical masculinity culture that folks at like the council on biblical manhood and womanhood often perpetuate like that stuff. It is harmful. It's not helpful. And it's caused so much division in the church and is continuing to do so today. Um, If any of that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How would you, how would you describe an inner sense of maleness? Like if a female has an inner sense of maleness, how would you describe that without, Falling into describing masculine stereotypes. What does that mean? What is an inner yeah, sense I'll, of maleness? I don't. I know. I, mean, so I know. I, I know what you're getting. This, I'm being a little bit punchy, but yeah, no, it's totally sub. <laughs> on one hand, it's subjective, but on the other hand, you and all the listeners, like none of us on this call, I we all uh, identify as cisgender men. Uh, I've never had a question about whether my gender identity is male. Like it's not because I would say it's not because of body parts. Uh, I wouldn't say it's chromosomal necessarily. 
I've just always had an internal sense that I am man. And uh, there are people who have an internal sense that they're not. And I don't know that we'll ever, because it's immaterial, be able to scientifically parse this out or even philosophically parse this out. But you talk to most cisgender women and they just say, I know I'm a woman. You talk to most cisgender men, I know I'm a man. And so I want to extend that same uh, reality to people who are trans who say, I know I'm not aligned with my bodily uh what what my body appears to be. Would you say you are a man because you identify as a man or because you simply are a man, whether you were unconscious or in a coma? Like, is, is there some object of reality of manness that doesn't rely upon one's internal sense of whether they agree with that or not? Yeah, I'm not sure I can answer whether uh, maleness or femaleness is necessarily objective. Um, I think... Obviously, the natural impulse, honestly, is yes, I think uh, my identity is a male. Um, I think that would, regardless of my mental state, would be reality. But is it something objective? I think theologically, philosophically, I would probably lean towards no, because um, the Christian eschatological hope seems to point towards an end of gender identity and sexuality. Uh, There is no male or female uh, given in marriage, all of that stuff, talking about um, God's ideal vision for the world. And so um, if we take that as true, and that's where we're headed, it seems like these are just limited experiences that we're having and not ultimately consequential in the end, whether or not you're male, female, intersex, or something else. I mean, yeah, no marriage in heaven, but that doesn't mean there's no sex beings in heaven. You can be male or female, not be married. I mean, that seems to elevate marriage a little bit too highly. Like, you're not really, I don't know, that's that's two different questions. No, but also, Paul, I mean, it's clear that even in the early church, even the early church initiation rituals uh, sought to do away with, uh, these categories. We all know the passage that's often quoted in this conversation. In Christ, there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. All of these identities become, fall into the wayside, and we're now identified with Christ in Christ. Um, and I think that I probably would disagree with some of my progressive friends on this, that I think one of the problems in our culture right now and uh, in these conversations is that we're getting too fixated on all of these individual identities that we have, and it's making it hard to converse at all. Um, I think the Christian perspective, and what I tried to embody when I was pastoring Mission Gathering, is everyone is welcome here as trans people, as LGBT people, as straight people, and all of that stuff really doesn't matter when we're together as the body of Christ. This, These conversations are not what are ultimate. Um, and so, again, that's where we come down to whether gender identity and sexuality is objective and eternal or a uh, subjective experience. And I think I lean towards it's subjective. I've got more thoughts, but I don't want to... Yeah. Billy, I don't know if you want to... <laughs> and we, we could have a part two. <laughs> No, seriously. I mean, it's it's just it's 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 simply that. I mean, this conversation could go on for hours and hours and hours. Brandon, is there ever can can uh, a child be affirmed too early? Like we all know maturity levels. We all know what it's like to be a five year old and how impressionable and and how we're just we're just bare. I mean, I, I look at myself as a twenty three year old. Quite honestly, I'm like, dude, that that guy was kind of lost, but. Can we affirm a child too early? As like uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm 
everybody treats me like a little girl, calls me a little girl, but I'm actually a little boy and I'm five years old and I want people to treat me that way. Yeah. Again, I think pushing back on um, these conversations, it's so easy for all of us to want to give kind of answers that cover all circumstances yep, and all yep, situations. Yep. And I think sexuality and gender. Yep. Yeah, no, but I mean, it's what happens all the time in these conversations because we crave that simplicity. The reality is, again, sexuality and gender are the most complex parts of us, I would argue. And therefore, even on questions of sexual ethics, I, I would say, it really comes down to individual circumstances and situations. So can somebody... Um, give their child's experience too much credence and do something that might end up being regrettable? Absolutely. Um, There are people who have had that experience. And there are uh, a community uh, or a family in San Diego, uh, they wrote a book called Raising Ryland, um, and it's their journey of their little child that uh, I believe was born a biological female and experienced themselves as a male, and they helped walk that child through that process. And Things seem to be great for that child now that they're in their late teens. Um, And so these are complex questions. If you're a parent dealing with this, I don't think this is an easy path. I think we should be cautious, not running to transitioning, nor also just reinforcing uh, their sexual reality uh, biologically. I think it takes discernment. It takes wisdom. It takes psychological insight. Uh, This should be done slowly and with intentionality, uh, no matter what the situation might be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do do either of y'all know anyone who says, I want to be, (laughs) I'm trying to think of the right, you guys, y'all are just forgiving because I I may say this the wrong way, but I I want to be the other gender, but I don't think it's right. And so I'm not going to. Like I, I, I for sure know people that say, look, I'm wired up gay but I don't think that's okay and I'm not going to do that. Do you guys know anyone in the trans camp that says, I wish I could do that, but I'm not going to? I, I, to I'll re, re, maybe reword it. I, I, yeah, I know many people, with, many, I know several people with, who experience some level of gender dysphoria, which is a spectrum, right? Yeah. Who are not, who still believe that their human identity is in their biological sex. So they're not going to take steps to transition. Typically, their gender expression might be culturally atypical, which again, the Bible is 100% totally fine with that. Uh, most Jesus is stereotypically <laughs> not, doesn't match the culture, the Jewish or Roman cultural expectations of what a man should be. You know, he's single, right. he's sensitive. You know. um, so yeah, yeah, there's several that would and Brandon, you were shaking your head. Yeah. Also, if you encountered someone like that, especially someone with a pastoral heart like yourself, would you encourage them to open the door to a different understanding? Like, would that be kind of your your first impulse? Well, yeah. If we're talking about somebody who is, uh, because of their Christian beliefs, not pursuing that, then yeah, I would have a conversation about uh why I think uh, God can be glorified through their transitioning. Um, And I think there's a whole different conversation. There are lots of people who experience, as Preston said, gender dysphoria um, that actually just don't want to transition and actually find a lot of life living in that androgynous or genderqueer state. And it sounds like both Preston and I would affirm that and say, 
great, live out your understanding of gender identity. If it's both, other, whatever, like, and that, can I, that actually opens it up, and you might be going here, but I wanted to ask a question about uh, pronouns then to you, Preston. Like, how do, how do you, uh, if you had a, a person who's genderqueer, would you be comfortable and would you advocate for them to be called they if they wanted to, or? Yeah, 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 I've, I've taken a lot of, from that. <laughs> I, I, I would say it's, I have a whole chapter on pronouns and bathrooms and all that. And, and they're, you know, I might not like the tone of some people on the, the more conservative camp. No, I, I really don't like the tone among many of them, you know, but there, there are some, you know, arguments I think are, are actually good for not using, you know, the classic one, you know, if, if the person is a biological male, why would I, the, the, here's a language. I, this is not me talking. This is me quoting others. But why would I feed their delusion? That's going to further harm, you know, um, to reinforce their self-perception. But that, you know, pronouns are, and this is where Grant and I are going to be probably on the same page. It's so much, it's so easy for us to just not even care, realize why a certain pronoun could mean so much. You know, I, I have a friend who, it would be in the category that Joey, you, you mentioned um, is a female and for personal reasons has decided not, not to pursue transitioning. And yet the dysphoria can be so aggressive that if they are called with the pronoun she, um, it flares up dysphoria to the point that the, they want to self-harm. And so going by they, them is a way to, in a sense, not identify as a different sex, but take a more neutral ground so that they don't go home and cut themselves. You know, it's like, well, gosh, it's the least I can do to use a pronoun that they prefer. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I there, there may be a case, you know, if a five-year-old demands that they call something different, there might be a parental place where that might not be the most healthy or if they're working, yeah, I don't, there, there might be some cases where, not using a person's uh, pronoun um, might be the wisest path, but yeah, for the, overwhelmingly, for the most part, absolutely, I would use a person's pronoun. So another really, really charged up question, and I, I take pride in the fact that this podcast will go in in these different uh, things. I'm patting myself on the back here, Brandon. Do you feel like would you resonate with with someone who said? What the hell's Preston talking about all this stuff as a as a straight white male? Like, why why don't he just leave this stuff alone? Those aren't my sentiments. Um, and now, now I do agree that sometimes we do speak out of turn about things, but I wouldn't put Preston in that category. But how do you feel when someone says, "What the hell, Preston? Just be quiet. You're not even you're not even one of them." Yeah, I think uh, I would take a. a a moderate tension view there. I think uh, even like when we've talked about scheduling this podcast, my natural impulse is to say, hey, you should probably just have a trans person talk about their experience. Um, Yeah. And good point. And I think obviously um, they might not have done all the research that Preston has done. And so being trans doesn't necessarily make you more qualified. However, um, we're all three cisgender people who don't understand at all what it's like to experience gender dysphoria. But um, I also agree with Preston to say, like, even though I probably I disagree with some of your conclusions, um, I 
see from my perspective as wanting the church to go more towards radical inclusion, um, I see a role for you being able to speak to Christians and help them become more compassionate, more informed, um, even if I don't think you go far enough. And um, I, I do get heat for that kind of stuff all the time because there are people who would just say, like you said, sit down, shut up. You have no reason to be doing this. I think uh, change is incremental. I ultimately want to see the church fully affirming of sexual and gender minorities. And um, I think that there's room for incremental steps in that direction. And it makes me happy to see that. Um, so, uh, Brandon, I appreciate that. I do. I do. Because, I mean, if I can get really honest and raw a bit... <laughs> um, yeah, laying aside all, all the important differences, you know, it, it is maybe a little, I don't know, disheartening or just, it kind of bums me out a little bit when when progressive, I don't like the term affirming, non-affirming, by the way, but progressive, whatever, people who have a, a different sexual ethic or view of humanity than, than I do, you know, what, what kinds of church contexts are doing things that are really toxic and incredibly harmful and even brought this up at exacerbating suicidality among sexual and gender minorities. It's evangelical Christians, right? I mean, for the most part, um, I would argue that there's a, another kind of harm that is that, that a progressive environment would, would foster. But um, so it's like, I, okay, you, you, you know, you don't, you don't, you wish I went all the way or whatever, but at the same time, there are literally millions of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, queer people being raised and nurtured in more conservative environments, they're not going to listen to Brandon Robertson. They're not going to invite Brandon Robertson in to talk. And I, and here we might disagree. I don't know if we will actually. I mean, I, I think there, there can be a healthy, loving church environment that holds to a traditional sexual ethic where somebody could come out as gay as a teenager and people would come around them and hug and pray and be with them and, and we're with you, you know, and, and if you decide that you don't agree with our sexual ethic, then we value you. If you need your rent paid, we'll pay for it. This might not be the church context where you can stay, but we hundred percent love you and affirm your humanity. And we're going to listen to you and we're going to walk with you. We're going to be with, you know, that that's not a toxic environment. Again, you wish they went all the way, but I, I don't, Anyway, I, I this is where I, I wish that some maybe more progressive Christians could could say what you said, Brandon. Like, yeah. hey, wish you went all the way. Fundamentally disagree. Um, think your view is ultimately maybe maybe you would say you know harmful or whatever. But like, but there's a lot of harm being reduced as a result of uh, the kind of work yeah. that you're doing because of the inv- the, the spaces that you're um, working in. But yeah, and and, anyway. and I would say. First of all, Brandon, I'm I'm really glad you said what you said as far as having a transgender uh, person on. I think that reflects a little bit of my immaturity. It's just, it's like, oh, we'll just bring anyone from the LGBTQ community on here, and and they'll they'll know all about this. But I I will say a little bit on my defense, and I know you weren't uh, attacking me in any way. A little bit in my defense, you're brought on here because of how loving and 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 gracious that I've seen you and and dialoguing with people like that. And and I feel like even though we've talked maybe three or four times, I feel like there's somewhat of a rapport like with a with a discussion like this. 
I'm a little uneasy in bringing someone on that I just don't know. And, I, and I'll be honest, I, outside of some friends of my kids, I don't, I don't know, I don't know anybody transgender. I don't think, which is, which is, I, I, that just occurred to me outside of some adolescence. Um, I do, I do not know. We'll wrap it up here. Do oh. Go I ahead, was Preston. just going to say, I was going to comment to that because Brad, I actually agree. I, for the most part, agree. I think it is way better to have a, a trans person on. I'm also, I also am a little sensitive to that for some trans identified people, my very presence is, can be triggering. So I, I don't want to, yeah. and I don't want to take that lightly. Uh, white, heterosexual, cis, male, writing a book. I mean, there's, there's several things here that it's like, so I don't want to, be in a space that I could necessarily might just inevitably really harm people. I don't think that's intentional. I don't think it should be that way, but some people might take it that way. So it's, yeah. it's hard. It's messy. I mean, there's no, yeah, well, it would definitely be a, a, a lot more glaringly pathetic. If, if the three of us right now, were talking about how it's, is to be a black man that that would be a little little out there <laughs> a little ridiculous hey so my last question is i i feel i feel this way especially i, I call it the the tiktok generation and and that that makes me uh, a, a little bit squirrely personally and i try to have a lot of open dialogue with my kiddos and uh, but bottom line is they are going to be on their devices some and 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 I'm not going to be on their device with them every single second it seems inevitable that for this younger generation that's coming up they're not having it any other way and they're they're not going to have anything to do with anyone or anything that is is unaffirming to trans queer gay lesbian it just seems as if that's the direction that we're going. And obviously, some of my listeners would be, well, that's that's a shame. I would say more of them would say, well, that's a, a, a good thing. But wouldn't y'all agree? I'll, I'll, I'll concrete concretize it a little bit. Like, wouldn't you agree this time, 30 years from now, we're probably not even having this discussion? That's just what it seems like to me. I actually disagree uh, because of... so. I've been on TikTok for the past six months and it's blown up. I've been amazed uh, at the amount of interaction that I'm getting. And I've been amazed at the thousands of conservative Christian youth who, frankly, are spewing really toxic stuff. I mean, um, uh, about trans, about LGBT people. Just yesterday, I had to report to the FBI uh, a kid who posted my address and said, we're going to come and kill you because you're teaching false uh, stuff. Wow. So uh, uh, when you say kid, how old? How old? I think from what I can tell, like 15, Ish. 16. Yeah. Good God. But this wow. is ever it's not an exaggeration. There are thousands and thousands of comments on my videos about being LGBT inclusive. Um, and you're also right. There are thousands and thousands of people interacting that are saying this is amazing. I this is the Christianity I've always wanted, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's easy to see the general cultural tide changing on this, but the fact is, a large portion of this country still identifies as Christian, and a large portion of this country still goes to churches that are teaching very, very black and white uh, ethics around these topics. And I don't think that's going to go away as quickly as I would hope it would. Um, I think it'll be more marginalized, but I think that also means that it might get more radical in some senses. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Preston? 
Yeah, I think it's complicated. Um, that that used to be the narrative. Everybody would say, you know, in a few years, everybody's going to be affirming. But even that doesn't make like, and we haven't really distinguished this too well. I think in this conversation, like collapsing LGBTQ together, because there's many <laughs> L's who are not on board with the T's, and even you know G's and T's are in in conflict in, in many ways. I and mean, we see this especially in the UK and continental Europe and. You have, um, so I affirm, what is that? That's why I'm like affirming, what does sure. that mean? Like sure. who affirm a historic Christian sexual ethic, which has to do with LGB, not necessarily T. I, th- I think there will definitely be, yeah, younger generation is going to be, is not going to agree with and hold to and live by a historic Christian sexual ethic. Not just the LGB, but even straight, I mean, sex outside of marriage and polyamory and other things are, um, becoming more accepted among younger communities, but will will that same crowd equally affirm that a, bi- a biological male um, is actually a female or not male because of an inner sense of self? That's a that's a really really different cell. I mean, you could be a, I don't I get many people who are uh, not not Christians, not conservative. They hate Trump. They're <laughs> they hate the GOP. You know, who are on board with some of the claims among, I would say, radical trans activists. So we just, we can't collapse. The whole phrase LGBTQ affirming, especially when you add like the A and the I, that just makes no sense. Like that, yeah. it's, it's just very unhelpful, I think. We need to ask specific questions um, and, and wrestle with those. So. Yeah. Preston, is your book more of a, hey, here's, here's what to do sort of thing if you have a trans kid or if you believe a certain way and you find yourself transgender or is it more of a theological, scientific, here's why, or is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely more like, um, I mean, the fundamental question is what I said earlier, you know, if, if, if somebody experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their gender identity or expression, which one are they? Because- all of the practical questions are related to that. Like, I, I, I am not, you guys both should both know. I know what Joey does, at least. Like, I'm, I'm not just some, despite my background here with all these books, I'm not just some guy who, like, lives to study ideas for the sake of studying ideas. Like, I, I have made my life of all about doing a pastoral theology. Well, loving people well, as I say in the book, does depend on getting certain concepts right. Because helping somebody live into their God-given identity and pursue human flourishing does rely on certain working out certain beliefs about what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian and, and so on. So yeah, it, sorry, it's a long, <laughs> nope. it's a bit of both, but it does yep. spend a lot of time on the theology, on a relational pastoral theology and scientific inquiry. Yep. Well, both of you, I love and appreciate you very much. Y'all are the kind of people that I want to keep dialoguing with. So I very much so value y'all's time and, and contributions. And uh, maybe, maybe the three of us should do this once a year. Who knows? But I appreciate it very, very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you.